Business Women Rock, episode 50. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. Such a huge show for you today. I'm talking to Sharon Lecter, who is behind the whole Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. Um, you might also know her from the Three, Free, Three Feet from Gold book. Um, but we have a fabulous conversation today, and you're going to get to hear all about that in just a second. Before we get started, today is Business Women Wednesday, which means this is the time where we get to shine a light on a fabulous woman who's part of our Business Women Rock community. So our Business Woman of today is Angela Beckham. And Angela is the owner of Right Order Concierge, which is a super cool like concierge service, like VA if you need one. Lifestyle management company is her tagline. So Angela has been the recipient of the Leadership Challenge Award and Women Aspiring Leadership Award. Angela, keep up all the great work that you're doing, girl. To find out more about Angela and her services and to see how you can be highlighted on our Business Women Wednesday series, go to bizwomenrock.com. And now let's get on with the show. My guest today is Sharon Lecter. You probably know Sharon from the series Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which she was a partner in and co-authored along with Robert Kiyosaki. But that is only one piece of who Sharon actually is. She is a fervent, passionate believer in financial literacy and has spent her whole professional life bringing financial literacy in all sorts of different ways to people around the globe. Her current company, Pay Your Family First, was started when she transitioned out of Rich Dad in 2007. It has included other books that she's co-authored, including Three Feet from Gold and Outwitting the Devil, which are under the brand of the Napoleon Hill, who's the writer of Think and Grow Rich. Her new book, Think and Grow Rich for Women, actually launches on June 17th of 2014, which is just a few weeks after this podcast airs. A, I highly encourage you to go get the book, um, and you're going to hear why, because it is foundationally driven by Sharon's passion for making sure that you have all of the things that you need to be financially very brilliant. In this interview, Sharon really goes behind the scenes with us and shares with us her stories of how she even got started in the business, why she has such a passion for this particular topic, her experience with Rich Dad, and all of the great things that she's doing now. Turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Katie. I'm delighted to be with you and honored to be present. I am very excited that you're here today because you may or may not know this, but the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series was actually my very first introduction into what it really truly meant to be an entrepreneur. And actually more so than that, this gave me this first glimpse into what financial freedom and financial intelligence really was. And it shifted my entire life. I'm, I'm not kidding you from the moment I read it. 
everything shifted. So I I know that you you are so passionate about financial education. So I want to tell you right off the bat, you made a huge difference in my life. So I'm so honored and humbled that you're here and willing and ready to talk about your business journey as a great businesswoman. So I'd like to find out a little bit about who you were as a kid. Like what were you like growing up and build that person up so we understand sort of how your professional career started. My parents, we were lower middle class. My father was career Navy. My mother was a hairdresser, had her own beauty shop. And growing up, my dad had retired when I was nine. We moved to Florida, and he had a full-time job. But on the side, he took care of cars. He had rental properties. So I, at the time, didn't realize that I was actually being raised in a very entrepreneurial home. But their goal, because neither of them had college educations, their goal was that their daughters would get college educations go to school, get a good grades, get a good job, and raise up through the ranks. And so when I graduated from college, I was the youngest of two girls. It was like the realization of their dreams. So I was a good girl. I made great, I was a straight A student and um, excelled in everything that I did from a from a corporate perspective. I started my career with Coopers and Libran in Atlanta and was doing very well in the corporate life and working very hard and accelerating. And about the age of 25 or 26, I decided, you know, I'm working this hard for somebody else. I should be working this hard for myself. And I had an opportunity to leave. And so at that age, that tender age, I really was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug and left the Coopers and Librand fast track that I was on and went to a company that ended up being the worst business decision of my life. Sometimes we have to learn from our mistakes, and sometimes one door closes and another one opens. And the fact that that decision was the worst business decision of my life, it happened to also be the best life decision because had I not made that decision, I wouldn't have met my husband, Michael, who we are now going to be celebrating our 34th wedding anniversary. Wow, so, congratulations. You know, mistakes are just part of the process. Thank you very much. Um, so what what, what exactly was that business um, decision that you had made and what were you doing? I mean, I know that you have a background as a CPA. So what, what exactly were you doing and what lessons did you learn within that not so great decision? Well, Lots of lessons, but I had a client at Coopers and Libran that was an entrepreneur. He was investing in a company that actually was in Chapter 11, and it was a new technology, and we wanted to utilize this corporate structure because it had a lot of net operating losses, and I won't go into too much technical, but it had a lot of tax advantages that we wanted to benefit from. So we were going into a messed-up company to try and straighten it out, to bring it out of bankruptcy, to be able to utilize these tax advantages. So we weren't really part of the the bankruptcy portion of it. And so I stepped into this situation with this incredible new technology, lots of new opportunities as an officer with an equity position. So I really kind of like stepped into the catbird seat. But I realized soon after I got there that I had stepped into something different, <laughs> not the cat bird seat, but some, a real mess. And I found some you know, some fraud and collusion, and I realized I had put my CPA license at great risk by going into this business. And so a lot of the lessons I learned was, you know, that, again, the emo- so many of us will make emotional decisions without doing the due diligence. And I will tell you, I, I, I don't regret the decision that I made, but I think I learned from it because what happened was it really helped me define my philosophy in life. As I was sitting in my apartment in, in Atlanta, I had the yellow sheet 
the little yellow pad with my my pros and my cons saying, you know, should I leave, should I stay? And certainly I had this equal number of yeses and nos, but then my hand kind of just took over and wrote across the top of the page, why not? Mm-hmm. And that really has been my philosophy all of my life, Katie, is that you, you know, we if we all wait for our whys to be answered, we might be waiting a long time. My philosophy is why not try something new? Why not walk down that road less traveled? Why not give it a shot? And as I tell my my classes when I'm instructing, I said, if it's illegal, that's a good reason why not. But <laughs> why not gives you the, the motivation to try something novel, something new. And that's really so important to a businesswoman because we're out there blazing new pa- new pathways and new trails, and we need to be more igniting opportunity as opposed to waiting for the opportunity to come. I love that. And I could not agree with you more on that. So now you're in this time period where you realize that this was a huge mistake that you had made. Where did you go from there? Like what trajectory did that did that go for you? Well, as most of us rebounding, I went, as I said, I met my husband. So I moved to Washington, D.C. and we were married nine months after we met. And so a lot of my time and energy was about uh, my my love life. But I went back into the corporate environment, became an officer at a life insurance company in Washington, D.C. So I kind of rebounded back like, oh, maybe I don't want to be an entrepreneur. And I went back into the corporate environment for about three years. And then I started my own tax practice. And then we relocated to, to Wisconsin. And by then we had three children. I had two ready-made when I married my husband. And we had a, a child between us. And the three of them were in grade school and didn't like to read. And I had the wonderful honor of meeting the inventor and having a friend who invented the first talking book. So if you, as if you're young enough, you probably read them when you were little kids. If you're my age, you'll probably remember buying them for your children or grandchildren. Children's books that had sound strips down them where we could touch the button and it would make noise. And we created that industry in the late 80s, 1987. And at that point in time, we had this fabulous technology, but no brand recognition. And so our philosophy was, let's go out and license a deal with Disney, Warner Brothers. And at that time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was popular. Oh, man, you're really bringing me back. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we went out and we licensed, and we were paying them licensing fees in order to utilize their characters and their brand but that really helped explode our market around the globe. And I said, well, gosh, that really worked well, but I want to be the one getting the license fees. Mm. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to be paying royalties. I want to be receiving royalties. But it was also a great opportunity for me to be in the publishing world. And, the, and prior to the talking book arena, I had actually started a woman's magazine with two friends. And so I really had gotten a lot of experience in the publishing arena. We sold the talking book company in 1991, and that's actually when my husband and I relocated to Arizona. But all along the way, you learn lessons about do you want to you know, you build it and they will come, or do you want to make sure you align with right partners or like right strategic companies? Or if you want to go into a new arena, find the best-case company in that arena and align with them. And that's really the philosophy that we've utilized. Now, what role did you have in the talking book company? What, what exactly were you doing? 
I was in charge of their operations, VP. I was also coordinating the cost structure. We did a lot of our, the electronics were being built in China and the, being, the books were being printed and shipped over and then we decided to change that model and just bring in the electronics and do the printing in-house. And so we had a lot of opportunity to change our, our, the line to make sure we were being most cost-effective. And so I was always uh, managing our, our, our vendors and our suppliers and our technology to improve the, the quality control side of what we were doing and then supporting the sales team. I was there to advise and, and work with the sales team to make sure that we were able to expand globally in what we were doing. It was a really fun time, a tremendous learning opportunity. And, you know, it's like stepping into environments where you may not feel that like you're the most competent at the time, but when you've got the energy and the motivation, you become competent very quickly. Mm, I like that. And that is so true. <laughs> I can attest to that. And I'm sure many other businesswomen can as well. So once you sold this company, where did that take you from there? Well, that was when we moved. Actually, it was the same. Within a few months after that, we moved to Arizona. And it was in 1992. Our oldest son actually graduated from high school and he went into college. And we, I did a, another small children's line of books when we first moved to Arizona, and that was a flop, and I'll explain that in a bit. But when my son went to college, he got himself into credit card debt, and I was really upset. I was upset with him, but I was more upset with myself because I had taught him about money. I had taught him the things, same things my parents had taught me. And he, the problem was he was with me when I was using my credit cards. He just wasn't with me when I paid them off every month. And certainly there weren't credit cards when I went to college, but he went to college and he had a really good time his first semester and got himself into into debt and came home at, during the holidays and hoped that we were going to bail him out, which we did not do. Best thing, best decision we had made. It took him seven years to get himself out of debt and to repair his credit, but it was a very good lesson for him. And, but at that point in time, in December of 1992, I dedicated the rest of my professional career to financial education and financial literacy because it was a burning passion for me. And that was so important to me was, here I am, I taught him about money and he still got off track because those credit card companies were on campus saying, here's some pizza and free money, here's a t-shirt and free money. And certainly today, it's still a huge area issue for young people getting into debt. But I will say as of about five or six years ago, we passed a law in Washington that credit card companies can no longer solicit young people on campus. So it takes a lot of energy and passion, but if you really focus on what you want to accomplish, you can accomplish great things. So obviously with this newly kind of focused passion of really wanting to take financial literacy to the masses, you obviously must have somewhere in the lines ran across the Kiyosakis who had that same passion and that same drive. So can you talk a little bit about how that relationship started and then how how this whole Rich Dad, Poor Dad series really came about? Certainly. Robert Kiyosaki went in to see my husband because he needed some help. And he had drawn on a piece of paper under his arm a game that he wanted to think about. And he knew he wanted to protect the intellectual property. My husband, Michael Lecter, is an internationally recognized IP attorney 
patent attorney, and he called me that day, and in fact, I often laugh when I'm talking to a group of women because he, I'm driving down the road, and he calls me, and he says, Sharon, I met a man today that has what you've been looking for. And I say, you know, what would you do if your husband called you and said that to you? <laughs> so, but um, I met Robert at the first beta test of the game. I'm the only person at the beta test that actually got out of the rat race. And I loved it, and he was terribly depressed afterwards because he thought it was never going to go anywhere. We got together later, and I actually started working with him just as a friend to bring that game to get it more ready for commercialization. And my husband helped get the patent for it so that it was patented and protected. And during all of these meetings, we started talking about he wanted to sell it for $200, and so we came up with the concept of writing the book Rich Dad Poor Dad to help him as a marketing tool. So Rich Dad Poor Dad was actually originally written as a brochure. Most people don't realize that. It was never intended to be a standalone brand, and at the time, our brand was not going to be Rich Dad. Our company name was Cashflow Technologies. And that's what we thought our brand was. But the world told us, no, your your brand is Rich Dad. And so we started selling Rich Dad, Poor Dad books, and I sold them out of, off my dining room table for, for the first couple of years. And it just exploded around the globe. And we first, as I said, we were first became partners with the book. But then within a couple of months, he asked me to, to be his partner in the business. And we became partners in 1997. And we grew Rich Dad. And again, this was now my chance to say, okay, we're going to grow the brand so people pay us royalties. And so we took that same formula I had used in the talking book industry, but employed it in a little different manner. We built the, the brand, and then publishing companies from around the world came to us to license the brand, to license our books. And we were in the, in the ability to receive the royalties from all over the globe. So we grew the Rich Dad Company over 10 years. We wrote over 15 books together that I co-authored and another 10 to 12 books from other folks. We had a myriad of other products, a myriad of games, and it became you know, certainly an international powerhouse. It was really, truly a, a tremendous example of viral marketing well before the Internet even started launching. It, because we talk about how fast we grew, but I don't really think we can take the credit. It's people who read the book, found value, and then told other people about it. So it was a great example of viral referral marketing, and it was a, just an honor and a privilege to be part of that and to see the impact that we made around the globe. And I want to get in a little bit deeper on this particular company and the process in the company because what some people may or may not know is that Rich Dad Poor Dad was actually self-published. You guys had taken it to some traditional publishers and it never got accepted. And so you guys decided to self-publish it. And there are so many people listening who have a really powerful book that they believe in that can truly help their target market. And they're not they're either choosing not to do a traditional publisher or they're not able to get a traditional publisher. So can you tell us a little bit about that process of choosing to self-publish and then what you truly had to do to get it out to the masses? Let me just first say that what we did in 1997 is very different than what you can do today. It's so much easier today 
to self-publish and get a book out there. We technically didn't self-publish. My husband and I have a, a publishing company called Tech Press, and we could not get a mainstream publisher to publish it, so, but my husband and I published it through our publishing company. And so it, I self-published, Robert didn't, so that's kind of a, a little sideline to the story. But we wanted to make sure that we could give away the book if we chose to. And so that was one of the issues we had with the mainstream publisher. Mainstream publishers, at the time, we didn't know that we were going to be writing 15 books. We you know, we thought we had a one-hit wonder, we thought. And so we were, many publishers turn their eyes to the sky when they when you're a new author and you only have one book, they are not really interested. They're looking at more of a brand building or an opportunity to have a long-term series of books. And so that's a very important element. But what our issues were back then were the, Amazon was didn't even exist. And so for you to really have a successful book, you needed to have somebody who owned shelf space. So as we continued to publish through our company Tech Press and run to the post office with book orders, we couldn't keep up with the demand for the book. And that's when three years into it, in 2000, Warner Books came to us and, and paid us a lot of money to take over publishing. And that's when we were able to really explode because we had the opportunity to be on the bookshelves. Again, that was then. Today, you don't need that kind of shelf power because you have the opportunity, much stronger opportunity to niche market, to be able to build your brand and to be able to communicate and be able to have great sales and great success through the Barnes & Noble online environment, the Amazon online environment. And you have the opportunity more than ever before to get your book printed at a much less expensive way than we could have years ago through services that are provided now by Amazon or by other companies, Amazon like called Create Space, where you can actually lay out your book and you can get just 20, 50 copies to figure out if it's going to be able to be marketed. And so the, those kinds of services are readily available today to help anyone who has a message create that opportunity to become an author. But what's even more important, Katie, is that once you are an author, it builds your own credibility. I talk about that today a book is like the new business card. And in addition to t regular books, the e-books are very popular now. And e-books can be 15, 20, 25 pages in length. You don't have to have 200 pages to be able to have an e-book. So in order to build your, your own credibility, your own expertise within an area, particularly for women, I think it's very empowering for them to take the time. And most of us have written something along the way, an article here or there. So it's not the problem is it's a very intimidating thought process. But once you actually sit down and do it, it's not that complicated to write a book and pull it together and hire somebody for a few dollars to put together, put lay it out in a book format and be able to create an ebook that can then be sent to create space and you can have hard hardcover or softcover books printed. It's never been easier to be able to do that. Sharon, I want to ask you the question because you now, you know, into this second company, first with your talking books and now into the Rich Dad company, you had experience being able to build a global brand and be part of that team that did that. What what tips would you say or what different elements did, would you say that really contributed 
to making sure that the brand that you were building was available to be global, like contributed to the fact that you became a global brand? Well, there's lots of different facets, but I think one of the things that's important is if you're looking at going global, you need to make sure that your particular brand is culturally adaptable or culturally consistent. So for instance, when we're talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was writing those books. I always made sure that we were not too U.S.-centric unless it was a book that had to be. So for instance, if we had a book on taxes, obviously we would situate it in the U.S., but if I had a larger market, then I would also say how that applies in other markets as well. And so that we could make sure that there were not a lot of revisions that needed to be made. And money is money everywhere. It doesn't matter what color it is. It doesn't matter what the denomination is. And that's why we were able to also license the game cash flow all over the world. And we didn't need to start changing denominations because at the end of the day, it's the, it's the thought process and the mindset that's so important. So when you're looking at your business and you're saying, does this business that I'm in, does it translate well globally? It does, is, is somebody in China going to be able to understand what it is I'm selling and want it? So if not, what is it that you need to do to make it compatible? And is it worth it? You know, maybe your best bet is if you are a U.S.-centric company, then make sure you keep your focus in the U.S. and grow and get exponential growth here. You want to make sure whatever path you go down is one that's fertile for you because so many people try to expand their brand in areas that is a waste of time. Now, so at this point, you know, the company has built out. You definitely have a globally recognized brand. What is the business model at that point? You know, how how is this company and this brand generating revenue? Well, so, you know, we, we, you've heard the term speed to market. Well, my philosophy in growing Rich Dad, we never had more than 15 employees when I was running. I was there from 1997, and I left in 2007, and Robert bought my interest from me. But my philosophy in growing it was always to grow through strategic partnerships so that I didn't have to hire and build with them. So, for instance, when we wanted printing, we went to a printing company and had them do it for us, and we controlled the the quality of the paper. We controlled every aspect of it, but we didn't have to own the printing presses. When we wanted to do an infomercial, I went and I partnered with Time Life, the best in his breed, the best in the field at that time, and they did the, the number one financial infomercial for us, and they they had all their systems, so they just turned the key and the systems went to work with our content. And so it helps you get on your speed to market. When we needed the Rich Dad Coaching, when we launched that, I didn't want to build my own sales floor and my own coaching floor, but I found the best one in the market and went to them and said, this is what we want. We want you to, to the world facing, you know, what they see is Rich Dad Coaching, but they had the back office support, so we were able to build the systems on top of what they already did, still make it rich, Dad, still make sure we had quality control over what was happening. But again, speed to market. We were able to just turn key, get their co- get coaches trained specifically on our content, but be able to manage the system as opposed to create the system. I love that you're bringing that up because I think a lot of business women have the mentality that you kind of have to build everything in-house and it has to be from concept to 
you know, market, it has to be all you, all of your sweat in it, all of your concepts in it. And so what you're talking about is finding that, that that's out there already, finding the best whatever that is and going and partnering with that and making sort of white labeling that right like really getting that under your brand and but using that system that already exists absolutely and in fact my first book with the napoleon hill foundation after i left the rich jet organization we published in 2009 and for those of you who may or may not be aware napoleon hill wrote the book think and grow rich in 1937 and Think and Grow Rich, if you've not read it, it's as applicable today as it was back then. And I highly recommend it. I read it when I was 19. Over 100 million Think and Grow Rich books have been sold around the world in various languages. So, But when the economy tanked, we wanted to make sure the foundation came to me and said, we want to get the, the, the philosophies and the teachings of Napoleon Hill back to the forefront. And so I helped them in my first book, Three Feet from Gold, where we went out and we interviewed many of today's successful leaders, not necessarily just about their success stories, but about those deep, deep, dark moments and how they got through the difficult times. And the book is called Three Feet from Gold. And in it, we developed your personal success equation. And the personal success equation, even today, I use it because when you think about your own business or your own life, you can find, typically, quickly identify the area that you need to work on. For, for, for instance, the personal success equation is taking your passion. Now, we've all heard, love what you do, do what you love. My passion actually came from anger. So sometimes passion comes from being mad about something. I was angry that we weren't teaching our, peop- our young people about money. And so my passion is as strong today as it was back then. And that t- your passion, combining it with your talent, and that talent is something, for me, it was my CPA license, it was my experience in publishing, I was able to combine that. And many women in particular, but many people stop there because they feel like they have to do it on their own. But the success formula is not done yet. It's passion plus talent times A for the right association, making sure you have the right partners. And sometimes the right partner today is the wrong partner next month, next year. So you have to make sure you have the right partnerships in place, the right associations, the right strategic partners, the right alliances, the right advisors. All of those are very important. And a lot of times companies get stagnated. And the first thing I ask is, you know, have you gone to a new networking organization or have you, do you have the right advisors to get you to the next level? And many times the answer is no, that they've got great advisors that have helped them get to this point, but they need new advisors to get them to the next level. And so that's the passion plus talent times association, but it's also taking the right action times another A. Many times people wait for the white knight to show up or they build it and people will come. And so it's really important that you strategically determine what action you need to take each and every day to propel your business forward. And we actually almost went to press with that as the formula, P plus D times A times A. But I said, no, there's still something that separates these truly successful people we talk to from those that give up right before they can be successful. And that was they all had tremendous faith, faith in themselves, faith in what they were doing, and faith that they could get through the difficult times. And a lot of times, particularly with women, I find that there's a lack of confidence. And that lack of confidence can only be overcome 
by tremendous faith in yourself and tremendous faith in what you're doing, and that helps you get past that barrier. And so that personal success equation, I ask each and every person I work with to look and analyze where they are in life or and or in business and determine where you might be able to tweak it and make an adjustment. And many times it's as simple as going to a new association, creating a new network, getting involved to reignite that energy of sharing what you do. So you mentioned in there the fact that being able to have the right strategic partnerships and the right partnerships and understand, you know, where you are with each of those is very, very important. You had a very successful partnership with Kim and Robert Kiyosaki for about 10 years, and I know things have transitioned since then, but can you talk a little bit about the role that you had in the Rich Dad Company and kind of how that partnership, why that partnership was successful during the time that it was successful? Well, we had a common mission to elevate the financial well-being of humanity. We were aligned. We were equal partners, and our goal was to create cost-effective products and to make sure that we empower people to empower themselves. And the company grew very quickly because it was the right message at the right time, and we were blessed with great success. And about 2005, we started, you know, a lot of, we course the business continued to take on new areas and new developments and about 2006 it was you know I, I I was starting to feel like I was uncomfortable not really true to my own personal mission Robert and Kim wanted to take the company into a franchising model that I did not agree with the franchising model and so that's why in 2007 after at the height of our success you know I said your mission is to go franchising I want to still really create cost affordable products for people and make sure that I also focus on families. They didn't have children, focus on young people and really provide that my personal focus was on women, on families, young people and entrepreneurship. And so we separated and went different ways. And again, I talk about it in the fact that sometimes you have to close one door for other doors to open. And I left at the height of our success and I was like, what am I doing? But that was just a few months after I left is when I got the call from President Bush asking me to be on the first President's Advisory Council for Financial Literacy, an opportunity that was a huge honor. And I wouldn't have had that had I still been at Rich Dad. So I served Bush and Obama and in that capacity, and I then was asked my own, my own profession, the AICPA, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, to lead and to be part of their financial literacy commission nationwide. And then I just last year published a book on behalf and, and for the benefit of the AICPA called Save Wisely, Spend Happily. So your journey, you just never know what's going to happen on your pathway. And, and as I said, your the perfect partners today can possibly be the wrong partners in 10 years. You just need to make sure that you stay true to yourself to your personal mission and continue focusing on what your your personal mission is. I love that you're being so candid about that because there are definitely businesswomen who are in the midst of a business partnership that just may have started off really great and it's not working anymore. And to be able to hear that it's okay to transition and to move on and to have those conversations where you are truly following what you're supposed to be doing, whether it's at a low point or whether it's at the height of the company is really, you know, you really need to keep true to who you are and where you're supposed to be going. So I really appreciate you sharing that. 
Well, it was it was interesting for me because it was a very stressful time, and I and I do not. It was never ever an easy decision. It was very stressful. I probably should have made the decision before I did, but it's really important for people to understand that you you know. It's not worth the stress. If you are in a relationship that's causing you stress or making you feel like you're not aligned with who you are, make take the action. You know, don't do it in the height of emotion, but take the action to free yourself of that burden and make sure that you are truly working towards what it is that you want to accomplish in your life and not living someone else's agenda. Now, Sharon, since that transition, you have literally been on fire of getting involved with all sorts of programs for financial literacy, writing books, creating your own programs, all that sort of stuff. So can you talk about, I know this is really under the the umbrella of pay your family first. So can you talk a little bit about what your mission is for that company and what your business model looks like? What are all the little pockets of your business? Certainly. Well, and I continue to to live my philosophy of strategic partnerships. I started Pay Your Family First when I left Rich Dad, and it is my financial education company. But we align with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and I have written two books with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Three Feet from Gold and Outwitting the Devil. And my third one, which is going to be out in June, is Think and Grow Rich for Women. And it's it's an interesting time because most of my career – I didn't think that we needed a book for women. I was, you know, the, I think the steps to success are the same for men and women. But as I look at the twilight of my career, I realize that even though the steps to success are the, are the same for men and women, how we approach them are very differently at times. And so it's very important to emphasize that. And, and I also am been frustrated by the dialogue that I see among women. Women tend to criticize each other. And I want to stop that. I want to stop the criticizing and complaining and create a celebration of what of where women have come because I believe we truly are at a tipping point for women. More than 50% of the college graduates are women. More than 50% of management positions are women. Two out of every three new businesses are women-led. And so it's very important that we start celebrating what we've accomplished. And that's really the, the mission and the goal of my new book, They Can Grow Rich for Women, is to change the dialogue. And in it, I've reached out and highlighted, and I'm celebrating close to 300 women in the book. And so I want to live the purpose, and I want to do that. And so everything I've done since I left Rich Dad has been really on purpose and true to what I, what I believe in. I created a game called Thrive Time for Teens that is a fun, innovative, lots of humor in it, and the kids absolutely love it. They go, this is what I, why aren't they teaching me this in school? This is what I need to know in the real world. And we've got programs for financial literacy curriculums for young people. We've got entrepreneurial curriculums for young people. I have a college course that we're just now launching. So everything that I've done has been true to who I am and and really wanting to get out there to support other people and other partners that want to take that curriculum and spread it through their businesses. I have a great relationship with CEO Space, and they utilize what we do. And we are, like I said, our college curriculum will be delivered and taught through universities across the country. And it's just so important to say, how can you leverage your expertise in the best way possible so that there's you don't need to have a hundred of you? You have, you know, leverage the content, not leverage the person. And so it's a very important process. And again, the use of strategic partnerships continues in everything that I do. 
And I, I want to ask you a question directed at that about the strategic partnerships. Have you ever experienced a negative from utilizing a strategic partnership because for the mere fact that it was not your baby, like you're actually really relying on somebody else's services and system that they have? Are there drawbacks to having those strategic partnerships? And if so, what have you done to mitigate that? There's absolutely drawbacks. And yes, I've had partnerships that were not good and we had to extricate ourselves. And my tagline is you plan the divorce before you get married. You have to build into the relationship, particularly if you're the small company and you're dealing with a large company. I really want people to understand that, you know, in two years, that person that you're talking to across the table may not be part of that company anymore. So the importance for you to protect your stuff and your company is to make sure that those elements that are important to you are in the written document and properly negotiated. And as part of it, in in every relationship that you have, every partnership, every strategic thing, you need to have specific quality control provisions. You need to have specific communication provisions in the fact that, okay, we're going to have a quarterly marketing meeting or we are going to make sure that if you're going to make a change to something that you get our written approval to make that change. So you are building in hopefully preventative measures to keep you from having those kind of headaches. But even, and for instance, if that company that you're working with ends up in financial trouble, you need to make sure in your agreement that if they're in financial trouble, then it terminates the agreement. You need to have termination provisions and opportunities for you to pull away. It's very important that you you are still the guardian of your own intellectual property and that you don't give away rights to that so that they can utilize it in other areas. So all of those elements are very important and something that I advise companies and organizations today. My husband and I operate as what we call our master advisors and so that we make sure that you're taking into element and into consideration every one of those things for your company, for yourself and your company and your intellectual property so that you are building in the provisions necessary to protect you should something go in the wrong direction. Now, over all of these years, one of the things that I'm really getting from you is that you've had a lot of experience managing people, being a leader, not only within your own companies, but also managing the the relationships within these strategic partnerships, within your clients. What kind of leader are you? Like, what is your management style? What works for you? Well, that's a great question. I should probably ask my team what kind of leader they think I am. (laughs) Um, I believe I am a collaborative leader, but I also, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm not at all afraid to make the tough decisions. I like to believe that I duck when praise has comes my way um, and let my team bask in the glory and that I stand firm when there's criticism so that they don't get hit with it. So that's certainly my initiative and my hope that that's the kind of leader I am. But I also, when I'm talking to my team, they they are my team. I hate the word employee, can't stand it. I don't like the word staff. It reminds me of staff infection. Um, so it is a, it, it's a team, my team. I believe in mutual respect. I believe in making sure that I understand what's important to them in their personal lives. One of the things I have caused for termination in my company is if you miss your child's play or recital because of business, you know, your job is to make sure that we know it and we can all work around it so that your family comes first. Obviously, that's the name of my company, and I want to live that philosophy. So I think from a leadership perspective, I, I tend to be much more entrepreneurial, so my 
right hand is Angela Topman, and she's the disciplinarian and the more structured, so she provides that element that I may not always have because I am tend to be more shotgun-focused, and she keeps us on a little bit more structured path. But I think it's also very important. If There's two pieces of advice that I talk to people when they talk about leadership and employees, and, and that is understand that I talk about hire slow, fire fast. Because what happens is you bring people in, and, and again, this is an issue I find with women, we tend to want to save people. And so somebody, when we identify that they're in the wrong spot, we want to help them. <laughs> we want to, and what I always say, if you have a toxic employee, pretty soon you're going to, that toxic employee is going to create a toxic environment. And so it's very important to make sure that you identify somebody who's in the wrong role or somebody who has outgrown their role very quickly and either find the right role where they can be happy and contributing um, to part of the team or give them the relief of releasing them and get rid of the word firing, but help them find the next, the next phase of their life and continue the next phase of their life. And I think that's very important. And again, I talk about planning the divorce before the marriages. That is exceptionally important. But the other element I have is when I, my team knows when they have an issue, they need to bring it to me. But I always ask them when they bring an issue, bring a solution so that you're empowering your team to be contributing members and becoming part of, integrally, integrally a part of the future of your business. I love that. So that they're not just venting to you, that you're encouraging them to be creative about how to move beyond whatever challenge they're having. Correct. So throughout this incredibly robust business history that you've had, I am sure you have more than one story of, of a low that you've had, you know, like a time where it just, the, the feedback I get from so many businesswomen is just like, they had that moment when they just couldn't go on. Like, you know, like you just have that moment when it's so low, you're so overwhelmed or you're so busy or you're so whatever that you just don't feel like you could do anything more. Have you had that moment? And, you know, what was that moment? And how did you move beyond it? <laughs> well, I just turned 60 in January and I have no problem sharing my age, even though I can't stand the fact that I'm 60. But... Um... <laughs> Congratulations, so I've had girl. I a couple of those moments in my life. And I talk about sometimes you feel like you're on a merry-go-round, but at, the, at some point you feel like you need to jump off. And that's happened several times in my career. And, of course, you know, leaving Rich Dad was probably the most stressful time of my life when it comes to my career. And I, I'll never forget one moment when my, my youngest son said to me, is this the lesson you want to teach me? Because I was just going to kind of walk away and just, you know, just say, I'm now out of the environment that's not good for me. And my youngest son said, is this the lesson you want to teach me? And so it was like having a bucket of cold water thrown on my face. And wow. the fact that each and every one of us are an example to the people we care about the most. And so some of us are champions, for great champions for other people. But we also need to learn to be our own champion. And in doing in, in that lesson was, okay, no, I am not going to allow the situation to continue causing me pain. I'm going to do what I need to do to get into a healthy environment and set a good example for the people that are watching me. And that was a really strong moment in my life. 
Sharon, what keeps you fired up? Like what, what is it that keeps you going after all these years, after all these ups and downs, what keeps you fired up? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting question because we just had our third annual statewide championship challenge for teenagers and high schools around Arizona. And coming into it, it was like, oh gosh, do I want to do this for a fourth year? And it's like, I'm not sure. We're, I think maybe this might be our finale. And going to the event, it was just absolutely fabulous. And seeing these young people coming up and going, oh, I got I got kicked out in the first round, but I'm going to come back next year. I think so just knowing that there's a difference being made in these young people's lives and that they're learning and they're eager is what fuels the desire to continue doing it. And certainly knowing that, I wish I could say that my 20 years of being passionate about financial education and financial literacy has made a global impact, and I think it has, but I think there's still so much more that needs to be done that we, you know, that little ripple and that little pebble that you drop in the water, it does come back. And I was at a speaking engagement last week, and I had a young gal come up to me, and she's starting her career in college. And I met her first when she was seven. I had created the Cash Flow for Kids game, and she came up, and I and she said, I don't know if you remember me. Of course, now she's, you know, twice the height she was when I first met her, beautiful young woman. And she said, you helped open my eyes to the world of entrepreneurship, and she's now the president of a young entrepreneur's organization. So wow. that, kind, that kind of feedback is something that keeps the passion moving. And I had a gal... We talk about partnerships. Just this Monday, I was at an event, and a young woman came running up to me to take her picture with me, and she says, you don't remember me, but you came and taught a class for, it was sponsored by our power company, and there was a class of probably 15 companies that were in a two-year program, and I was one of their guest speakers. And she said, I I raised my hand because I had a question about working with family. And she said, and it was at a very stressful time, Work. I, my son was working with me, and she says, your advice, and of course my family is all part of what I do, and your advice helped me open my eyes to an, another option of how to deal with my son. And she said it was the greatest gift I've received. So um. those are the kinds of things that make it not only it's, an honor to hear that, but it also gives me the motivation to keep going. Sharon, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you what is coming up in the future? What is the vision for where you are going and what you are producing in this world? Well, thank you so much for asking, Kitty. My current mission and passion right now is my new book, Think and Grow Rich for Women. I'm very excited about it. And one of the issues that when I talk about changing it to a celebration of women, I also really want women to stop playing the guilt trip about work-life balance. And I really want them to understand that we are all women. We all have choices for how we spend our time. And if you're unhappy with how you spent your time today, make different choices tomorrow. But worrying and having guilt over what you've done in the past or work-life balance is a waste of time. And it's bringing negativity into your world. And so that's a real essence of the book. The last chapter is called One Big Life, and it gives you strategic things that you can do to help get rid of that kind of 
that goal of being able to feel balanced. Because really, when you're balanced, you're not moving. And I don't know a single woman or man, for that matter, that stands single in place. So you're, nobody is truly balanced. We just need to make different choices if we're not happy with the choices we've made the day before. So Think and Grow Rich for Women comes out in July, um, excuse me, on June 17th. It's available for pre-order right now. We've got all kinds of fun, wonderful things and gifts for people who order early because we really want to create the buzz around the book. And you can go to thinkandgrowrichforwomen.com or sharonlector.com forward slash women. They're both get you to the same place so you can pre-order and receive your gifts. And so we're very, very excited about that. And along with that, of course, we've got all kinds of events happening and launch parties from across the country for Thinking Grow Rich for Women. And I'd love for everybody to participate and share it with your friends. I'm, again, very honored and excited about the book. And then I also, as we talk about it, my other initiative is I've just completed and will be starting to promote our college curriculum to universities across the country. Just so that you guys know, all of those links to Sharon's book will be available in the show notes as well. Sharon, I can't thank you enough so much for being here and sharing your story and sharing with us where your passion comes from and being such a wonderful example of what someone's passion can truly do to touch this world and to really make a shift in this world. And you are doing that with what you've done in the past and with what you're doing now. So thank you so much for being so willing to share your story with us and and sharing all of the great things that you're doing. I wish you the best and uh, just really want to thank you. Well, thank you, Katie, and I appreciate that, and I also want to thank you for what you're doing because you're taking the time to provide this kind of opportunity for me to share as well as for your listeners to, to learn from all of us, and I, it is really, truly an opportunity for people to learn from each other so that hopefully you, they have new ideas to take their business to the next level and maybe learn from our, a few of our mistakes. So thank you for what, you, <laughs> thank you for what you're doing. Get all the show notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 50. And remember, you will be able to go there to get all of the links to all of the websites that you need to know to get Sharon's book, Think and Grow Rich for Women, as well as all of those other books that she was talking about. I'll put a direct link there for them. So what I really, truly loved about Sharon is just the fact that she's just such a hardcore businesswoman. I mean, she really gets it and she really just kept on going no matter what was going on. She totally stayed true to who she was. I really respected that about her. And even though it meant that she had to make some really hard decisions along her business journey, I thought that was really, really amazing and spoke a lot about how far your passion can really take you and how many lives your passion can truly touch. So I hope you really enjoyed that. I would love to hear what you got from it. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode.